swing and a line drive left field. Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did. He got it. Here we go. It's time to party right here. 3-2. High He crushed it. It's a grand slam. Swing and a miss. Thankfully, it's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. And tonight we will be covering Boston Red Sox baseball. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on whatever platform you have chosen to uh, tune in. We appreciate it very much. Joining me tonight, Jason Kelly and Charlie Smith. How are you guys? Doing well. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm not on the ledge. Yeah. Not at glancing at it though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's tragic. I mean, literally when when I heard, "Oh, you know, Chris Sale's going to miss time because of pneumonia." I'm like, "Oh, better pneumonia as an excuse than like a hangnail or some other BS." And now he's out again. So, apart <laughs> from the course, folks. <laughs> I'm like immediately suspicious whenever there's any ailment whatsoever, you know. And and you know, the first tweet I saw was of from Chris Cotillo, who writes for Mass Live, and he's like, "Yeah, he's sick, but the arm's totally healthy." And then you're hearing you're hearing stuff like, "Oh, he's healthy, but he won't be ready." for opening day and like it's just a it's just a really messed up path toward you know ultimately Tommy John and uh I think I'm always going to have trust issues with this team regardless of who the GM is or who you know whoever yeah I mean I I know I don't know about you guys but personally I'm excited to see Ryan Weber starting every five days that's that's gonna be a lot of fun pitched a gem didn't he like last time yeah right? <laughs> yeah because yeah, we all know yeah. we all know when it happens in spring training it's definitely gonna happen during the season yeah hey, look if, if CC Sabathia could finish a career with an 86 mile an hour fastball then who's to say Ryan Weber can't start his with that is that what he was topping out at? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Probably. Well, I know for the Red Sox home games, they're not uh, allowing a gun. Apparently, Renicky nixed it. So if anyone's looking for velocities, I think it'll have to be at the away games if, if they're providing it. But, yeah, he's not he's not Mr. Velocity by, by any means. So... So, all right, so we're going to get into uh, Chris Sale in the opening segment. You know, we'll kind of air it out, maybe cry together. I, I don't know how it's going to go, but um, but some Chris Sale talk. We do have a, a list of potential guys we can pull off the scrap heap to, you know, put in the rotation, hopefully eat up some innings. We'll get to that. Um, I would like to, if we have time, touch on the Christian Yelich uh, contract extension. 
Um, I think that's interesting given the Mookie Betts experience here in Boston. So I think we can uh, have a little bit of fun with that. And uh, I thought there was one other topic, but, you know, we can kind of freestyle it here after a minute. And before actually we do get into it, uh, I have been doing uh, so far. It's uh, I've done two parts of a four part interview with Porter Fisher, who was the whistleblower in the Alex Rodriguez biogenesis uh, scandal. Really fascinating behind the scenes stuff. Porter was featured in the Netflix documentary Screwball, and um, you know which was very enlightening as far as the scandal went. But there's just far more details that we're covering in the um, you know in our interview. We've done two parts of that. Tentatively, there'll be two more. So um, you know everyone you know should check that out if you're looking for some baseball content. But anyway, so let's just how, – how shocked are we with Chris Sale probably being lost for the season and a chunk of next season as well? Like, scale of 1 to 10, Jason, where are you at? Um, In terms of 10 being completely shocked, 1 being not at all, I'm probably around a 3 or a 4. Um, I agreed with Tony Maserati. He called it out a couple – I think last week – when they initially said, oh, he's going to miss part of the season because he had pneumonia and he's behind schedule. So we're going to have him do extended spring training. And Maserati called out. I said, I, I call bull crap. Like, there's no way. It's, you know, it's his elbow and they're trying to cover it up. And sure enough, here we are on, on Tuesday. And he's staring down the barrel of Tommy Gunn or of Tommy John. <laughs> <laughs> or, and, a Tommy Gunn, <laughs> or a Tommy Gunn, or a Tommy Gunn. Yeah, pun maybe intended. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, as soon as you hear any health issue regarding Chris Sale, it's you all you always go back to the elbow because he missed so much time with it last year. He had a really bad year last year, and, and you know, apart from um, you know a few, I guess, spot moments. Um, you just saw it coming. It, it, the pneumonia was an excuse. They used it as an excuse. They tried to get him in. He literally threw 15 pitches in a bullpen session and immediately felt soreness in his elbow and went for an MRI. And then you hear the the James Andrews stuff, and as soon as you hear that guy's name, it's like the kiss of death. So um, I'm not shocked. I, I you know I knew that Sale wasn't going to be that his elbow wasn't going to be ready. I'm just more shocked that the Red Sox didn't address this sooner. I mean, I'm sure that last year when he had elbow problems, he went to see Dr. Andrews or he went to see somebody who probably told him, hey, your elbow is in trouble and you can try to rehab it, but at the end of the day, this is going to end in surgery. And for whatever reason, I think the Red Sox tried to put it off or they tried to think, oh, we can do what, the Yankees did with Tanaka and you know, you'll just rehab and you'll work through it and you'll be ready by next year. And it's like, no, he's not, he, his elbow is still in trouble and I'm not, I'm not shocked at all. I, you know, it sucks. I'm disappointed. I'm angry, especially the, with the way this offseason has gone. And the fact that at the moment we only have three legitimate starters, all with health issues. Uh, but yeah, I'm not shocked at all. I, I I saw this coming a mile away. 
And the, one of the frustrating things, just to build off that, is this was a lost year anyway. So if the surgery happens in September of last year, he's possibly ready to go by opening day 2021. <laughs> I just, yep. how, I mean, ugh. We'll, we'll get into it some more, but uh, Charlie, scale one to 10. Uh, I actually am, I'm in the, the boat of, I'm going to say four. And the reason why I'm not at a two or a three is because when I saw his throwing motion change, the only thing that like my heart said was, this reminds me of another pitcher, but physically and like what I really wanted to be was kind of like, you guys remember that scene from that movie Waterboy where the mascot is drinking whiskey and then falls over and passes out? That's kind of how I view this season. It's just going to be a cluster bomb, for the lack of a better term. Um, just horrible because Chris Sale falling apart reminds me of a pitcher that everyone used to love in San Francisco, Tim Lincecum. Tim Lincecum was listed at about 5'11", 6 foot, about a buck seventy. Chris Sale's a lot taller. He's about he's half a foot taller, six six, weighs about a buck eighty. So about the same weight, a little bit bigger. But you'll notice that the last, you know, the the last two years of, of each of their career, it's been derailed by major injuries. Tim Lincecum never really truly got paid because he kept on betting on himself. But kid was a two-time Cy Young Award winner. And then he just could not get healthy. He was falling apart after year five, year six, and his ERA went from 3.4, 2.7, 2.8 to 5.1, 4.3, and just never got better after that. Chris Sale, after his you know fourth, fifth season, his ERA started jumping up to 3.4, 3.3. Not as crazy, but he's just not going to get better. And he has a very unorthodox style of pitching. He throws a very taxing pitch on the shoulder and the elbow. Uh, it's lethal. That pitch is disgusting. I mean, you need to have a permit to throw that thing. But am I surprised? Absolutely not. This season, before it even started, we were all kind of talking about, okay, what's the record going to be? And I said, 68 wins if they're lucky, if the sun hits them the right way. And now you might be lucky to win 60 or 61 games. This is this is going to be the first 100-loss season for the Sox in a long time, but it is going to get ugly and fast. I was uh, on that scale uh, a one. I'm probably the least shocked of anyone um, I was starting to at least have a little bit of hope that he would start the season, though. I will say that. Um, but going back to when this contract was, or extension, as we should say, was signed, I was an immediate skeptic. I'm like, why are we doing it a year early? There's just you have all the benefit of watching him through his option year. And had that happened, what is he? What kind of a contract does he have right now? Does he even have a contract? Because he had PRP injections in September, so he's not getting a long-term contract or even a multi-year contract at that point. You know, so 
he's probably on a one-year prove-it deal with either the Red Sox or another club had the Red Sox been smart enough to not sign him a year early. You know, there was all these red flags. And when he first came up with the White Sox, he was he was projected as a reliever. And eventually he was converted into a starter and he was dominant, you know, almost from the get-go. But there was whispers with that delivery it's very violent, you know, it's not fluid, and it's probably going to give him problems later on in his career. So eventually the trade happens in late 20, uh, let's see, late 2016. And yep. and basically, you know, I, I wasn't crazy about the trade, if I'm being completely honest, but, you know, in hindsight, it wasn't a bad trade. I mean, we obviously got a World Series out of him, and the second half of that season wasn't wasn't pretty. And you know the you know kind of on pins and needles throughout the whole month of October, he made one start in every series. Had the infamous belly button flare up that put him in the hospital, aka shoulder inflammation. But but we had him for three years. You know, in the trade. That's. That was the balance of his contract factoring in the options. So three years and a year and a half into that, he starts having issues. He starts having issues that many people suspected he would probably end up having. And then what do the Red Sox do? As I just said a minute ago, they signed him two years into that three-year period without making him pitch that last year to to show that he could be healthy and, and that he could recover. And here we are. <laughs> I just, it's... Yeah. I mean, th- this gives a lot of ammunition to the anti-trading Mookie crowd because one of the reasons, I mean, the primary reason they said they traded Mookie is because, well, we got to get under the luxury tax and we can't afford him, blah, blah, blah. Well, part of the reason you couldn't afford him is because you felt the need to pay Chris Sale before you had to, and now you're not going to see him for another year and a half. So, I mean, that's that's really damaging to John Henry and, and the Red Sox decision-making because I have no idea why they felt the need to do that so soon. Well, I mean, I think they would have signed him both, though. I mean, he was still offered the three hundred in addition to what the the sale extension was. So, I, I guess the question still is: Do they, if sale isn't on the books, do they go to that four hundred dollar threshold? I mean, I, I I think they probably might, but yeah, I mean, it's a fair point, right? I mean, were they willing to go that far for Mookie anyway? I just feel like. The money they tied up in Salem Bogarts kind of they kind of pigeonholed themselves into a position where, you know, Mookie was asking too much. And so at the end of the day, it's you know, it doesn't matter because it's all said and done and, you know, whatever. But it's roadblocking us now, though. It's roadblocking us from a million other things that we need to be doing. So, you know, one one way or the other, whether it obstructed Mookie from signing or, you know, I mean, we need at least two middle of the rotation guys right now that it's it's kind of tough. You know, Char- Charlie, what were you about to say? 
well, I mean, here, here's the thing. Mookie was looking at getting something. The way I look at it was Mookie was probably going to get something smack dab in the middle between Harper's 330 and Trout's. I think he got, what, 425 or 430. Um, and, you know, you split the difference. You give it 360, 370, something like that. I thought he was going to get about $375 million. The Red Sox were not going to do that. The Red Sox are still paying, you know, I mean, think of all the dead money. They still have to deal with Resnick Castillo, who's getting, what, 13, 14 million this year, and then that's it. Um, we still got David Price. We're paying off that one. Um, Pedroy is making 13 this year. There are so many, pl- there's 40 plus million dollars in essential dead money. We're not doing a thing with it. So could we have spent that money there? Sure. But as you brought up in a prior show, list the number of players. You can count them on one hand. Players that have actually gone to the World Series, let alone the playoffs, that have 200-plus million-dollar contracts. It's not a smart business decision because you think about it, yes, you get them for a couple of good years. But then how much dead money do you have at the end of that? Assuming the last three years are done, that's $100 million plus that you're losing. Look at Giancarlo Stanton who got – 30 million last year didn't do a thing. This year he's injured again. That's another 30 million gone. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. Teams are not going to be making these investments in players just for the fear that you know what? Yeah, you might sell some tickets. You're going to sell a lot of tickets, don't get me wrong. But for the last couple of years of the deal, it's going to be dead, not counting any of the injury that the player might incur during the middle end of or the middle bit of that six, seven years before the last three years are just trash money deal. I, I, I the Red Sox were smart not to do it. Um, I, I'm really curious to see what ends up happening with the players that they got. I'm not angry at all that they didn't sign Mookie Betts. He didn't want to be here. Good riddance. I'm over it. Moving on. Uh, getting back to uh, sale at this point. When Dombrowski got fired, ownership didn't necessarily single him or scapegoat him out specifically on on the sale signing. But there were comments made by John Henry saying he didn't see eye to eye with Dombrowski. That's why he didn't give him the extension that Dombrowski was asking for with a year left to go on his deal. And... You know, he he was uncomfortable with the direction of the franchise. But just to kind of, I just want to put this out there. John Henry and Tom Warner campaigned last winter through the months of of January and February and and even March to to sign, uh, you know, Chris Sale. And, you know, they were still pursuing Mookie at that point. I don't think the... The three hundred million, you know, offer had been made and declined yet, you know, on the Mookie side of it. But here's uh here's some quotes from John Henry, and this is in a Mass Live article written by Chris Cotillo a month before the extension was signed. So there was still a little ways to go. This is what John Henry says. He goes, We would love to be able to sign him. I think he would like to as well. But there are realities of the marketplace and budgets. This is his opportunity to be a free agent potentially, which we would like to avoid. And I think he would as well. Something could happen. 
And then towards the bottom, it says, and this is still John Henry. It says, I think Chris falls out of the norm because he's not just a great pitcher, but was a great part of the team. As we saw in the World Series, he had quite an impact, you know, just being on the bench. He's a special player. And so, you know, this is, I know Hyam Bloom is in here and he's inherited this contract, but this is a product of ownership, you know, influencing a signing that has a ton of red flags. Like, all the red flags were there and... It's just it's just so painful that you know the the course of events you know led to that extension from happening. Do you think though let let me ask you this though. Do you think that if the Red Sox hadn't made so many crazy bad deals, do you think the Red Sox actually would have signed Mookie Betts to a 11-year 300 and $70 million deal or 12 year $375 million deal. Do you think that would have actually happened? Well, I mean, it would have had to have happened by the end of 2016. And that was the year when he and Trout were basically, you know, one and two for the MVP and, you know, a lot of people thought Mookie should have gotten it because his team got in the playoffs. Trouts didn't. And it would have had to have happened early because that's when Mookie had the most incentive. Excuse me. And, you know, it just it didn't happen. <laughs> and then he was hell-bent on going to free agency. Yep. You know, I mean, we had around that time, I mean, we the Sandoval contract was on the books the Hanley contract. We didn't know what to think of Porcello, although 2016 was his uh, Cy Young year, but very up and down year in and year out with him. And, um, you know, I can't think of, I mean, Pedroia's contract, you know, was on the books at that point as well. But, you know, we were already a top four or five payroll, you know, all that time. So, it's, well, and wasn't that wasn't that before the Harper and Machado contracts too? Because if it was, then I don't feel like the Red Sox would have set the market at at that high of a price. I don't either. I yeah. 100% agree. Yeah, and th- those contracts were last winter, so you know Harper gets three twenty five, Machado gets three hundred. You know, coming into twenty nineteen. And Mookie declined basically the same contract that Machado was offered. Um, So, I mean, if that happens a year earlier, only Stanton is in that category, you know, because Trouts was last winter. So, I mean, if the Red Sox offered, say, 320, Mookie would have been the highest paid player in baseball if that was you know, two winters ago coming into the world series year. But so it's an interesting thought, but I really think he's, he's hell bent on going to free agency and Mookie's Mookie's back and forth with the Red Sox actually started before he even signed with the team initially with his rookie deal. 
he was drafted in the fourth round and and Mookie and his agent was going back and forth with the Red Sox on I think what the signing bonus was going to be or something something to do with the monetary aspect of the deal and the Red Sox weren't coming to terms and it came down to the deadline day and Mookie said he was resigned to the fact the Red Sox weren't going to weren't going to reach an agreement with them and his bags were packed and he was he was headed off to college that day and then like in the final hour the Red Sox finally caved and said all right we'll sign him for you know this amount and then you know and then Mookie you know the rest was history as far as his you know tenure I mean it put him on the course to you know climb through the minors and I mean, he wasn't, he spent like three years in the minors. He wasn't fast tracked like Andrew Benintendi. He wasn't a can't miss prospect right away. And even when he was called up in 2014, he wasn't, nobody expected him to become, you know, one of the greatest players in, in Red Sox history. I mean, where do you put him? I mean, he probably has to be, Williams is number one. You know, unless you unless you really want to put Mookie there, but you know, I think Ortiz, Yaz, and and Mookie are in whatever order you want to put them in the top four. If we're only counting hitters, sure, because we're missing some pitchers in there too. True, true, yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure if you go to hitters. Like, uh, sure, he cracks the top five, but it's not convincing i mean the red sox have had a lot of good hitters come through here and sure not all of them won world series you know williams and yaz never did uh ortiz certainly won plenty but Mookie was only here for five years and i still that that still sticks in my craw a little bit it's like dude you were barely here like i don't know i before i can put him in the pantheon of great red sox hitters like that that service time still bugs me a little bit true let's let's kind of shelve this till the final segment because like i said i want to kind of tie it into the um the the christian yelich signing which which uh extension i should say which uh you know was agreed upon today i don't know if it's been made official yet but uh the framework of the the deal has tentatively been agreed to um but okay so getting back to sale here what do we expect realistically? Because here, there's one name that haunts me here. And I think Sale could end up going the same direction. Justin Masterson, his career basically ended, you know, in 2015. And the Red Sox DFA'd him. I can't remember if he was picked up briefly by another team and then released by them. But there's some comparisons here now sale and and masterson their pedigrees are obviously different like sale was on his way to being a hall of famer and and still could be masterson you know uh, a number two or three at best you know in in a good rotation but the similarities here is both guys are about six six they both have funky deliveries and their frames weren't built to be able to handle 
their funky mechanics. Like they they couldn't sustain, you know, the the arm slots that they had. And I'm wondering if Sale's career could be over. I mean, he's probably we're jumping the gun with the Tommy John, but I can't see I can't see any other course of action here. If he does yeah, have I, it, if he does have it, I just I don't know that there's guarantees that he's going to bounce back and pitch 150 plus innings ever again. I'm not convinced that that's going to happen. No, and to me, he he strikes me as a guy who okay. So if he has Tommy John, let's say hypothetically, which it sounds like it's headed that way, he'll be what 32, 33 when he finally is able to get on a mound again. Um, you know, assuming that everything else stays healthy, he might be looking at a career at that point as a reliever. Um, and I know that that's maybe not what he wants, but maybe he goes the Oliver Perez route where Oliver Perez, you know, he was nowhere near Chris sale, but he was a starter for a number of years and then ran into health trouble and kind of, revitalized his career in his mid thirties as a reliever. Um, and sure he wasn't, he wasn't an all-star closer. He wasn't anyone great, but that's something that Chris sale could do. He could do the Oliver Perez or the Zach Duke route where, you know, you're a lefty with a weird arm slot and maybe you've got a little something left in the tank. He still has that wicked slider. If he can pull it off, that's, that might be what he's looking at at this point. And, I know that he doesn't want to face that. I know the Red Sox certainly don't want to pay him the $30 million to be that. But if you at least get that out of him, I think that's not too bad at this rate. Eckersley, you know, didn't have the pedigree that Sale had as a starter, but, you know, found dominance as a reliever himself, you know, mostly with Oakland, you know, by the time he – embrace that role but uh, you know so i mean so i guess the thing is here is and and i think that that's extremely reasonable and 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 maybe should be the goal but are the red sox going to admit they were wrong you know because i mean he's going to be a 30 million dollar a year reliever Here, here's the thing. I think we 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 have to err on the side of caution. But if we start talking about using a reliever that we're spending thirty million dollars on before he's even he's really begun yet, because when does that one hundred and fifty year or one hundred fifty million dollar deal begin this year? Right, and we're already about using him as a reliever holy crap now if if we look back at some of the very very great left-handed uh sidearm throwers the one pitcher that comes to mind is randy johnson randy was six foot ten and an absolute monster a freak of nature and he could throw 100 miles an hour or more and it just didn't seem to do anything like I'll, I'll bite off anything that he's eating, whatever. I don't care. I would do anything to be his height just for a day, just one time. Chris Sale, when he pitches, there are some times, depending on the pitch, that the follow-through looks the same way. And there are other times where it looks like an elastic band that keeps like 
going right back. I am so nervous if we are already talking about using him as a reliever and going the uh, the Zach Duke way or even the Colin McHugh way because as that happened a couple years ago, Houston converted him to a full-time reliever um, and then back to a starter, kind of, and the experiment has since failed. Um, I, I really hope that his career is not over only because – um, $150 million, even if it's this year, that's gone. The Red Sox are no stranger to throwing money away to players that are going to be done for a season. David Price was there once before. This could be just another another player experiencing the same thing. But goodness gracious, I, I mean, last year it pained me when they were saying, oh, maybe Nathan Evaldi will be a reliever. At 17 or $18 million a year, you've got to be kidding me, man. That's a joke. That's an absolute joke. That is absolutely ridiculous. We cannot afford to have a $30 million reliever. That would make this one of the biggest bust contracts ever. And I don't want to go down that path right now. It's too soon. Well, the the recovery time for Tommy John is 12 to 18 months. And I'm going to boldly say that Chris Sale is going to be on the back end of that. So let's say 16 to 18 months. So where does that bring you? It's if he had it tomorrow. So it's March. So you're looking at like mid July next year at the earliest. So at that point, that's that's three and a half years remaining on his five year deal. It, right, but Chris Sale right now is 31 years old. At the end of next year, if it's lost, he's going to be 32 going into 33, and he's missed 18 months. This is already shaping up to be a horrible, horrible deal. Horrible. And, uh, I mean, realistically, I mean, the Red Sox could spend next winter. We've talked about the, the free agency class not being great. Trevor Bauer is probably the headline pitcher in it. I, I would love to have him. I'm a Trevor Bauer guy. But <laughs> it's hard to predict what that guy's going to be willing to do. You know, he's very set in his ways and, and, and whatnot. But best case next year will be hopefully in a division race or at least in the wild card hunt, you know, comfortably above 500. So I guess the state of the team will dictate what, what they do with Chris sale. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, it's, and you know, they will be able to, I guess, now that they've gone under it again, they will be able to go back over the luxury tax to spend again and spend more money on a free agent pitcher. But again, it's like, is that really what you want after what you've been through with sale and all these bad contracts? It's it's going to be hard to sell the fan base too, no matter who it is, whether it's Trevor Bauer or someone else. So yeah, they're they're kind of in a tough spot. Well, it's going to have to be somebody that they think represents good value because that's what this organization has not done in the past six or eight years. They've gotten terrible value out of a lot of their signings, some of which I named earlier with Hanley and Pablo, and I don't know what we want to call the Porcello contract, but um, but I think that's just that's going to be the case going forward is 
are they comfortable with said player? You know, is there an injury history? Are they comfortable with what the analytics are projecting for him? I think that's going to, I think that's hopefully going to be the, the focus when they're identifying, you know, future contracts. So, um, I don't know. And at that point, we'll have Tanner Houck hopefully up, hopefully pitching well, you know, giving us a chance to win every time out. And Evaldi will have two years left on his deal. Still (laughs) still don't know what to think about him. I'll tell you one other thing. The deal with the Padres falling through that could have included Cal Quantrill, that's hurting a lot more today than it was a week ago. Oh, it's true. I mean, none of us are really big fans of Will Myers and, and taking on that money potentially, but boy, it'd be nice to have Cal Quantrill in here right now because, yeah, he could probably slide into your rotation as a, a nice young piece with a lot of potential. Uh, oh, God. It, it hurts so much because I, I don't touch anything. Like, I will buy shares of literally anything as long as it doesn't touch anything San Diego because I think A.J. Preller is garbage. He should not be a GM in baseball. He's he's deceitful. He's a liar. I just I, – I can't say – you know, we've, we've all had players on our teams naturally that have done some things that are kind of like naughty, no-nos. But I mean, as a GM, you've got to know better too. I, who knows? I mean, Quantrill could go down this year. It, no one could have predicted that. I mean, obviously, I think we probably could have predicted that Chris Sale would have gotten injured. But um, they're trying to step away from spending money. They're trying to get rid of all of these ugly contracts. And Will Myers is not getting any younger. So, I mean, maybe this ends up hurting us more in the long run. But Sale is done. The season is over. Um, it's been over. Uh, I don't think it would have honestly. Maybe it would have made a little bit of a difference, but how much? Well, the one thing about Myers, though, is his contract was structured in a weird way. So the Red Sox, it only would have been a $3.8 million hit against the luxury tax, uh, you know, annually. Yeah, some something's like there's some background, like something's like rolling across a table or something. Um, but I just that contract. I mean, I would have taken it on to to basically acquire a um, you know a, a starting pitcher, and I think Myers would have made a very good platoon with Moreland at the very least. Yeah, that was a big reason why I was in favor of it is because, like you said, about him barely impacting the luxury tax with his contract. And I don't know the whole, uh, all the details behind that as to why that is. Um, but I, I did sort of like the idea of him platooning with Moreland at first base. I don't like the fact that it's probably going to be Chavis over there with Peraza at second, at least from what I've seen so far, I'm not impressed with that setup at all. Um, and Myers, you know, you're right. He's not getting any younger, but he's had a decent spring and he was a top prospect, not all that long ago with the Rays. So it's a shame that that deal fell through because, and I don't know what the Red Sox would have had to give up, but 
I still feel like it could have helped him a little bit. It may not have made a huge difference. They might still be just a wild card contender that doesn't quite make it, but at the very least, it would have been something. It, to get Quantrill in here as a young pitcher and maybe take a flyer on a guy like Will Myers, I still would have preferred that. The fact that that fell through is is pretty disappointing, especially today. Yeah, and Quantrill's ERA last year as a rookie was 5.16, but he had three consecutive starts in late September going into, excuse me, late August going into early September where he gave up in three starts in a row, eight earned runs. So, you you know, you, you wipe those starts out, you know, his ERA goes down to 354, which is a lot more palatable. And we don't know much about Dave Bush and what type of impact he's going to have, you know, with the pitchers now that he's the pitching coach and what type of analytics in the, in the front office that they're going to be, you know, incorporating into, you know, getting the pitchers, uh, you know, performing more optimally. But, um, yeah, it would have been nice to, to have an arm like that in the rotation, especially, you know, if he can give you five or six innings. But, okay, so here's a list of players that all three of us have kind of scoured through a little bit. Um, Rob Bradford, most of this came from a tweet he shared. Actually, I think the initial tweet came from Ian Brown, who is the Red Sox MLB.com writer. But we'll, we'll go through some of these. Uh, Clay Buckholtz, Andrew Kashner, Marco Estrada, Matt Harvey, Jeremy Hellickson, Colin McHugh, Danny Salazar, Aaron Sanchez, and Scott Kazmier. <laughs> so let's start out with who do we like on that list? Or, or who, who can we tolerate might be the better uh, you know, question. Cool. Oh, can I go first? Sure. Go ahead. Here's my list. And I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so I'm going to be serious for a second. I feel like I've been the most negative ever. And it, it, here, oh God, it just, it hurts so bad. So let's go over everything with all of the players you just listed. Clay Buckles, 34 years old. Last year, two and five records, 6.56 ERA. No, thank you. I already know what you can do, and I'm not interested. Andrew Kashner, 32 years old, 2-5 and five with the Sox, 11-8 overall, finished up with a 6.2 ERA. No, thank you. All set. Marco Estrada, 35 years old, 0-2 record, 6.85 ERA. Matt Harvey, 30 years old, 3-5, and five, 7.09. Hellickson, 32, 2-3, 6.23. Irvin Santana, 36, 0-2, 9.45. Clayton Richard, 35 years old, 1-5 record, 5.96 ERA. That leaves me with Danny Salazar, who is injured, but I've always held a candle to him because in fantasy baseball, I'm always the sucker that drafts Danny Salazar in the 15th or 16th round, hoping that I get something golden out of him. I'd love to see what happens if if he can get better. Aaron Sanchez, if he ends up, you know, getting healthy and he's good to go, I'd be willing to take a flyer on him because he's only 26. He's the only one that doesn't sound like he's been around since the time of Jesus Christ on that list. I'd be willing to take a flyer on him. Colin McHugh, 
he could experiment as a long reliever, maybe a spot starter if push comes to shove. But I am buying absolutely, unequivocally, indubitably, no shares of any other player on that list. Salazar, Sanchez, Mahew, or bust. I'm done. Next. All right. Well, let's just rule a couple out right away. Jeremy Hellickson, you know, missed most of last year with shoulder issues. He had a setback earlier in the winter. Three weeks ago, he retired. So completely not viable. Um, and oh, and then I didn't include Taiwan Walker initially. He is with the. Seattle Mariners right now. I'm not sure if that's just a spring training invite, if he has a minor league deal or whatnot, but he's he's off the board for the moment, at least. And then Matt Harvey, that's like probably the sexiest name on there. But we're still getting some background from someone. That might have been mine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like there's a bottle rolling across the table or something. That <laughs> or, was keyboard, sorry. That's, oh, that's me. Okay, my bad. Um, but with Harvey, the the big question mark here. I mean, he, he's had a lot of success his first three years in in the majors. You know, he he was under three with his ERA. and then after the World Series, which they lost to the Royals, 2015. You know, his career took a nosedive, and he hasn't been the same since. The last time he pitched somewhat formidably was 2018, and um, that was in the second half with the Reds. He had a 4.50 ERA, and I think that he was pitching very well and then just didn't end the year uh, very good. And then last year, pitched part of the year with the... um, you know, with the uh, Angels of all teams, which was a perfect match because, you know, they're all dumpster fires. And uh, they cut him loose. They cut him loose uh, with a seven-point-whatever ERA. But the thing I'm not clear about here is, and I, I spent quite a bit of time searching, uh, you know, throughout the web, I don't know if he's if he's game in game shape or not. I mean, he loves to, he loves to drink apparently. And, you know, he's a party guy and, and maybe that's been the problem, but I don't know if, you know, if he were to show up at camp tomorrow, how, how in shape is he? Yeah, that's a fair question. Cause he's, uh, he certainly had some issues when he was in New York with partying too much and, uh, not quite being game ready uh, every five days. So it's definitely a fair question when it comes to him. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess I I would want to know that going forward. Marco Estrada and Aaron Sanchez are not going to be ready until this summer. Um, Sanchez might not be until later in the summer. Estrada is coming back from, I think back issues which have plagued him you know for the last few years um he's not going to be ready to go until june so i guess my problem with those two is we're we might be dead by the time they can come help us yeah 
And I honestly, I looked over this list and I people are going to hate the suggestions that I come up with, but from this list, the, the names that stood out to me as far as who the Red Sox should go after, I agree, Matt Harvey's one of them. Um, he's, you know, obviously, is he going to be in game shape? We don't know. Um, my hope is that Matt Harvey realizes he was once like the next big thing in baseball and then he kind of lost his way and there's no better way to get back into the spotlight, which I think he loves. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you want to pitch in Boston, loving the spotlight isn't necessarily the, the worst thing. It didn't quite work out when he was with the Mets, but maybe this time will be different. Maybe he got knocked down a peg and he's ready to go. Um, I would take a flyer on him and the other two. I would take a shot on Clay Buckholz. I know that we all were happy to see him go when his time in Boston was done. He was frustrating as hell during his career here because, you know, he was a, a trade ship that was never traded. You know, we were told for years and years, no, we can't part with Clay Buckholz because he's going to be the next Boston ace. And he never quite got there. He had injury problems. You know, he, he, missed half a year because he slept wrong holding his baby or some weird stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, like I, I get it. He was incredibly frustrating, but he, he's, he's shown glimpses and he's been here before. This is a familiar setting to him. So maybe he comes back and you know what? Maybe he's not great. Maybe he's more of a three or a four starter. Now that's fine. Just give me someone who can take the ball for five or six innings and give you a decent effort. Like, I'll take that from him. Um, and the third guy, I would take a shot on Scott Casimir. And I know it's been forever since he's been in the majors. But there were reports earlier this winter that he's been working out, that he feels like he's regained his form. He feels confident in himself. Um, he's, you know, he's a left-hander. That's always kind of valuable. He's got experience pitching in the American League. Again, it's been forever. Who knows what he's got left? But if he's willing to come here on it on short money and he's confident in himself and he's willing to say, yep, I can take the ball, give me a shot, why not? Take a flyer on a veteran lefty who, you know, feels like he's regained his form. I would definitely – those are the three guys that I look at. That's that's my list. Um, I guess, you know, if I were going to have a top three, um, I guess I have to have Harvey on it no matter what. I mean, so he, he's probably my number one. I might I might take a flyer on Andrew Kashner. I mean, he was healthy last year. He showed flashes in the bullpen. I don't think all would be lost if if we brought him back. I trust his health, so, you know, I, I guess he would <laughs> reluctantly, you know, make my top three, and I guess Colin McHugh, you know, I get, or maybe I could go with Kazmir. I thought that was an okay pick. He hasn't pitched since 2016, though, and he is 36, so I don't, I think there's a lot of uncertainty there, you know, in terms of, can he still do it? And then can he do it fairly well? You know, so I guess those are my questions. But I definitely kick the tires on on him. 
I'm not a huge proponent of Buckholtz because he's gonna the engine's gonna blow at some point and he's gonna he's gonna have an issue or or thinks that he has an issue. I I don't know if it's in his head or or what, but he did pitch twelve uh he did make twelve starts last year with Toronto, sixteen the previous year with uh the Diamondbacks and had some success in those starts, but inevitably he went out with an injury. Not great. He was kind of on the Porcello program for a while as far as, um, you know, productivity went. 2012, he he made, let's see, looks like 29 starts, limited to uh, uh, 16 in 2013, which were amazing. That was the World Series year. But I'll get to that in a second. I got a funny uh, theory to, to throw at you guys. But that was uh that was a injury shortened year despite the World Series win. He uh he made 28 starts in 2014. So as we can see the even numbered years here are pretty good. Uh only 18 starts in 2015 and then 2016 he made 21 starts, 37 appearances. It was a healthy year but not a very good one as far as uh you know pitching effectively so he was relegated to the bullpen he did start that final game against cleveland uh which ended the year that was big poppy's last game so i i guess i would like buckles more if we were using him as a say sale was just going to be out for a couple of months or three months I wouldn't mind bringing buckles in at that point because i'm like geez if we can just get that out of him and you might I feel like okay, that's a that's a possible avenue, but we need a guy who's going to be healthy the whole way, and it's just an extremely tough sell. Um, you know that he's going to come in and and give you twenty plus starts. Yeah, he's he's tough to bet on for sure. He he's kind of done that to himself. Um, so it's it's a long shot. I just. I kind of was impressed, you know, last year in Toronto. He actually showed some stuff, and that's pitching in the AL East. So maybe it's maybe it's the candidate, but I don't know. He he does come with a lot of baggage. That's certainly true. Yeah, and with 2013, I meant to go back to that. That was the uh, the cuddling injury. Um, I think what happened there was. I think two or three starts before he made that last one. Remember he. Remember the last start where he he had that weird collision at first base and did a backwards cartwheel kinda and he had an issue with a shoulder that was said to not be a, a big deal and then suddenly the cuddling thing happened the way he was cradling his son if you go back yeah. to if you go back to just a few starts before that, he got in trouble in Toronto for having that sunscreen on his arm, that bullfrog sunscreen. And I think the dome was closed that night as well. So the fact that he was wearing that was a little weird. And there was suspicions that he was using it to doctor the baseball. And he was on the best run of his career. Like he was just absolutely nasty. He was like 9-0 or something to start the season. And 
And then he gets caught with that. And then a few starts later, out he goes. Right. That was the uh, that was the Dirk Hayhurst incident, right? Dirk Hayhurst, the guy who wrote all those books that called him out on the Toronto broadcast. I think so. Isn't he whoever it was is their normal broadcaster. He's like the the Jerry Remy of their booth or whatever. Yeah, he was a former Toronto pitcher whose career ended uh, pretty early. So he's he's kind of a younger guy. But yeah, I remember that uh, all the Boston media were calling him Inspector Dirk Hayhurst because they were they were pissed about it. So <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, and then he came back in the playoffs and. I think he got a win actually against it might have been against Detroit and David Ross got him through that though. If it weren't for him, I think Buckholtz would have been lost out there. His fastball was topping out at like 88 89 something like that. And Ross nursed him through I think 5 innings and you know, the bullpen and the the offense kind of held up and and got the win, but yeah. Ugly. But I would reference that whenever I was making fun of David Price for not having a win. I'm like, well, Buckholtz had one. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So. I, uh, I, I distinctly remember, uh, that season that he, he went, um, like on just an absolute kill streak. Like it didn't matter what he did. He was just on absolute fire. And I, I do vaguely remember that it happened in Toronto and circumstances with why he was doing what he was doing just didn't add up and then all of a sudden it was like well well he's not here anymore what the hell happened <laughs> so uh it, the the one thing about giving you know back, back to what you're saying uh Jason about giving him another chance is you know eventually it will break down and we'll have to deal with you know the rest of the season that just appears to be just a dumpster fire. It's tragic. Yeah. Danny Salazar, you know, is a attractive name. He missed all of 2018 with shoulder surgery, came back 2019, made, I think, one or two starts, but then had a groin injury and then missed the whole year. So he's kind of Buckles-esque, you know, when it comes to uh, durability as well. So... I mean, realistically here, we're probably going to have to make a trade, aren't we? I mean, if – and you're probably getting a number four off of a team that's not expected to compete. Actually, you know what? I had one name and I didn't look it up. What about Alex Cobb with the uh, Orioles? Do you think they would part with him? Oh, I think the Orioles, if you offer them anyone that's under the age of 25, they'll they'll take the deal because they've got a lot of rebuilding to do. And I don't know how much money Alex Cobb is still owed by them. I know it's probably quite a bit. I'm trying to look it up right now. Um, I'm actually right about there. Um, he only made yeah. three starts last year. Um, he must have been Rock. injured. Yeah, four uh, – Fourteen million is uh, what he is owed. Oh, let's see. Oof, yeah, that's not going to happen. Well, he, he's got two years left, so twenty nine million overall. So they would have to just eat that or something. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't even know how how you can even facilitate that trade because 
if they're going to eat all that money, they're going to want a semi-significant piece. So I, I just can't see the stars lining up. He's had a very disappointing career. He, I thought he had Tommy John somewhere in the 2014-20. Did he? Yeah. yeah. And he was out 2015. He was out the whole season. Um, and then he began the 2016 year on the 60-day disabled list. Didn't do anything either. I mean, he, he literally was out of the game for two years. Um, 2014 was his last real successful run. And then after the injury occurred, I mean, he's had 18 wins since 2014. Yeah. 18. Well, actually, 2017 wasn't too bad. He had 29 starts with a 366 ERA. But that was the only good year. Um, you know, had that rough 2016 when he came back, 8.59 ERA, only five starts, and uh, yep. yeah, 490 ERA in 2018, and a 10.95 ERA last year, but that was injury, Ooh. so I don't know. That it was just a name that came to mind, and you know, I don't think they're gonna go near him. No, nope, 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 not touch. What about if Jose Bautista? He's uh, he's pitching nowadays. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I think he can play first base too, can he? So perfect. Yeah, there Corner, you go. Outfield. I just yeah. Look at listen to us. Listen to us. Jose Bautista, Alex Cobb, Clay Buckholtz. Um, yeah, this is bad. This is really bad. Is there anyone in the minors right now? I think we non-tendered that uh, that Kelly guy, and we and another guy we non-tendered. This kind of hurts now. Is Julius Chassin <laughs> like we could have used Ooh. him? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's looking like a move. Yeah, we non-tendered him, um, and then you know what? We do have Brian Johnson. I mean, <laughs> he could eat innings because yeah. we DFA'd him. <laughs> No one took him, and then we we outrighted him or whatever. Yeah, I feel like you're going to be seeing a lot of Brian Johnson and Hector Velasquez taking those four and five spots for three to four innings, and then it's going to be middle relievers, or or they're going to be there's going to be an opener, and then they're going to take the middle innings. It's going to be a mess. Yeah, and there's another guy named Matt Hall currently on the roster, but. Uh, Andrew, uh, in the, in our little group chat showed me his stats and they're just not good. Oof. Yeah. I hadn't, I wasn't familiar with him, but I saw a headline saying that he was a candidate to possibly be the number five starter, but yes, getting, uh, has getting really ever, ugly. Has there ever been this type of off season where there's literally no starting pitchers available i just it's unreal when you when you look at it i mean i've never seen so many players get injured so i don't know if it's conditioning coach errors or if it's just players not taking care of themselves during the offseason but even back in the day like how many injuries did did a team have in a season a couple the yankees lost like 40 guys last year it was insane they have this, this week <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, it's insane. See, I've been—I got nothing better to do, so I troll Yankee fans. But Giancarlo Stanton's not gonna start the season. He's got a calf injury. I—I I don't even know what he was doing yet. Nobody has even said what happened 
for him to injure his calf. You know, was he yeah. simply walking um, or yeah. what? But, you know, I, he could have been shagging fly balls. I, I don't know. But he's got a calf injury. He's not going to start the year. Luis Severino, Tommy John. And what is he at this point? You know, because he was good in 2017. And then 2018, he started off good. And then him and Chris Sale both started having Chris Sale syndrome at the same time. And I forget, that was when Blake Snell um, ended up with that Cy Young. But they, you know, Sale and Severino ran out of gas. And then Severino missed all of last year with a shoulder. And now we'll miss all of 2020 with with a, um, you know, with a UCL problem. So he's having Tommy John. But the, that's a team with a lot of issues as well. But, see, they're not supposed to suck. We're supposed to suck. They're not supposed to. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Severino, uh, yeah, he – it was weird. He he's had a great first half, and then there was that weird story about he his diet got real bad because he was eating too many fried plantains or some some crap. I don't know. It was, all I remember is I just kept saying, "Oh, he's trying to be CC Sabathia. Like he needs to stop with that." Like, and then all of a sudden his his elbow is all screwed up. So I think his whole just his health routine and his fitness just wasn't where it needed to be. Um, so who knows? He, he's he's got to work to get himself back on track. But yeah, Yankees got a lot of issues too. So uh, I guess we're not alone. But yeah, Severino also had that weird instance. It might have even been in the playoffs. I don't remember where he didn't show up to the bullpen in time, and the game got held up because <laughs> he wasn't warmed up or something. It was so they. The, the question was about his character at that point. Like, is this guy taking stuff seriously or, or not? And uh, Larry Rothschild, you know, took some heat. He got fired last year anyways with the Padres now. But, um, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of weird stuff around Severino. And I'm just wondering, is, is that guy ever going to get it together? Or does he need to be in the bullpen? You know, is he really just a 70 or 80 inning a year guy? You know, so they're going to have some some interesting questions, but they he's only owed ten million a year for the next four, so um, you know that that's not as bad as what we're looking at with Sale. But they're they're having their own injuries. Uh, Blake Snell with the Rays right now had a cortisone shot in his elbow, which is kind of a bummer because we kind of need someone to you know fight the Yankees. So it just seems like it, maybe it's maybe it's the cool thing to not be ready opening day. Like, is it a big deal anymore? I don't know. It is to me, but I, I, I mean, after after what they did last year, spring training was like a joke. It felt like you know they 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 took a breather during spring training, and then the real spring training took place during the first month of the season and by then we were how many games out of first place like eight or nine i mean it's just it's gotten out of hand and uh unless unless things change i mean it's gonna be i honestly like i have to be fully transparent with myself and like real i don't i don't think it's gonna be just a year i think it's gonna take a little over a year before the red Sox are back on track and i think that making a trade to get a fourth starter is just 
you know, putting a, like a rubber plug in a dam that's broken. You know what we're not hearing right now is uh, why we traded David Price. <laughs> Nobody's complaining yeah. about that. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we're over an hour now. Uh, just uh, just to kind of touch on something. And we kind of got way far into the Mookie thing than I was expecting to earlier. So, uh, But Christian Yelich was basically agreed to an extension uh, today with the Brewers, which absolutely stunned me. I thought for sure this guy is going to go to free agency. And you know, possibly get an upper middle to upper $300 million deal. And he signs, I think it's a nine year, $215 million deal. And then there's a mutual option for a 10th year. So I I just can't believe it. And it, it frustrates me because he, he was willing to do that. Like he, he, he believed in the Brewers and, and wanted to buy into the program they had. And and they're a small market team, so they're never going to have that stud rotation, at least through free agency. They might develop one on their own, but but he's going to stay with them. And you had Nolan Arenado do the same thing with Colorado. That's gotten to be a little bit messy because apparently Arenado thought that Colorado would kind of build around him and that that's not really happening but at the time of his contract Arenado was you know willing to commit to the only team he's ever played for so you you got you got that loyalty with Yelich and Arenado but Mookie Betts no no such luck and Mookie was offered roughly a hundred million more than what Yelich ended up taking so I just it's it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, uh, all I have to say to Mookie Betts is good luck. I hope that you are right because if you have a down year, oh boy, um, you're asking for four hundred plus million when I think a better player than you just took way less than that. And Yelich is a way better hitter. Sorry, he is. He may not be what Mookie is defensively, but he's a better hitter. And he just took way less than you to stay with the Brewers. So you you either look like an a-hole or you look really bold. Um, and hopefully for you, you have a great year in L.A. and you look like you made the right decision. But yikes, that's a lot of pressure to go on him now. Yelich, when he signed that original deal, though, uh, he was playing for a team that didn't really spend a lot of money. You know, he's playing for the... Miami Marlins and whatnot. So does it surprise me a little bit? I mean, they still had two more years on the deal, I think, before they really had to say, okay, whether or not we want to do it. I think Milwaukee wanted to get ahead of it and say, we don't want to see him walk in two years and make a 10-year, $350, $360 million deal because that's probably what he was going to get. But for me, I don't think money has ever defined this kid. I mean, look at how much money he made last year and look what he did. The year before that, he knew how much he was making. He didn't ask for a new contract. He didn't um, fight the power. He just he wanted to just play baseball. So Christian Yelich is a, is a prime example of what baseball should be about. Instead, we have people that are money-hungry, 
that yes, they do treat it like a business. Props to him. But I mean, like you said, he's he's gonna really be up against it because the Dodgers are gonna be like, well, damn it, we should have gotten Yelich, and we we would have been able to pay him half of what Mookie wants for the same amount of time. I'm looking for these stats I saw earlier, but there's there's four major offensive categories. I know two of them were on-base percentage and slugging percentage. I, I don't know if average was one of them. But in three out of the four since the middle of 2018, uh, Yelich leads those categories. Mike Trout led one out of the four, which was actually on base percentage. So, so Trout led in that one. Um, Yelich led in slugging percentage. I, I don't know if OPS was, was one of them. I really wish I had bookmarked that tweet, but, but like, uh, Jason said, he is a better hitter than Mookie Betts. And here's another thing. Like, Take Arenado, Yelich, and Mookie. Are any one of them going to help the Red Sox win a World Series more infinitely than one of the other two? I mean, uh, I would say, I absolutely, I would say Yelich on his contract right now. Oh my God, Yelich every day. Well, I mean, he's better, but I i mean, is he that much better than Mookie that it's going to guarantee you a World Series, or is he that much better than Arenado? And I know Arenado's an infielder, but I i just think, I just think they're, you know, they're not, they, they're not separated by much. So any one of them, you know, will help the Red Sox. So at that point, I'm just looking at the money. I'm like, some team is going to pay Mookie Betts double what what Yelich is getting. Not quite double, but close to double. And just for the same player that that Yelich is, and it's going to be dumb. I don't don't know how many people are going to open their pocketbook to get Mookie Betts because you looked at what you saw what Bryce Harper did, $330 million over 13 seasons. So he's not getting paid as much as... um, as as much as other other people are going to be getting annually, um, I think he kind of um, he's betting on himself. It's it's it might work out for him, but I don't think it will. I I think this ended up hurting him a little bit. I don't think that Mookie Betts is gonna because of Yelich. I mean, nothing's official yet. It's still just rumored. They're still talking about what they're going to do for his official contract. Um, they're probably going to announce it in a couple of days, I imagine. Um, but I think this is going to perhaps hinder Mookie from hitting that $370 million plateau. And I think Mike Trout will be the only player for a very long time to crack $400 million. Yeah, and quite frankly, Mike Trout should be the only player to crack $400 million for a long time because he's been the best player in baseball for how many years now? I mean, Mookie had one MVP season. His other seasons, sure, they've been good. Yeah, you know, he's he's a very good player. But it's not like he's been top three in MVP voting his entire career, which has been very short to this point. Um, and I'm sorry, like I do think Mookie's physical build works against him. You know, he's a smaller guy. A lot of teams and a lot of executives look at him as the next Andrew McCutcheon, a guy who, yeah, he'll be good until he hits his 
early to mid thirties. And then he's going to lose some power. He's going to have some health problems and he's not going to be worth 400 million. So, um, you know, maybe that's why Yelich is willing to sign this deal so soon because Yelich is a pretty thin guy. He's a little bit taller, but he's thin. He's, he's not a muscular guy like Arenado and Trout are. So I think Mookie's taking a big risk here. Like, Sure, he he might get that long term deal. He might get four hundred million, but it's I, I don't I can't imagine any team is is going to be um, you know jump chomping at the bit to give it to him right now. The one guy who was a five tool player that played very well until almost age forty was Tory Hunter, and, and he was probably a bigger guy than Mookie, um, but very few people whose, you know, game is predicated so much on speed, maintain it, you know, throughout their 30s. Like, that's one of the first things to go. And, I mean, we're seeing Pujol still, you know, sort of a power hitter, you know, at age, I don't know if he's going to be 41, 42 this year, but he's a shell of himself in every other aspect. And, you know, like you said, that that could be Mookie around age thirty four, age thirty five. Yeah, and even even Pujols, like he was, he's a big guy. I mean, Arenado's a moose, Trout is a moose. Like, you know, I, I look at guys like Yelich and Mookie, and Yelich is I, about to probably do the smart thing. He's getting his money now, and he's signing that long term deal because he's a thin wiry guy and when he starts to get into his third you know early to mid 30s he might start to break down and he's another guy relies on his speed a lot um Mookie to me is you know he's always going to be a a small thin framed guy and for him to think that he can just keep betting on himself and get like a 12-year deal that has him going into his you know late 30s 40s getting you know 30 to 35 million a year. I I just think that's a really bold decision that really might cost him. And it very well could. Um, Did you guys see that golf shot that Mike Trout had off the tee with the driver? That was unbelievable. That ball (laughs) still hasn't landed yet. Well, he annihilated that thing. Right. And I'm just thinking like, I want to like, if I'm going to be landing at an airport, I want to make sure Mike Trout isn't playing golf anywhere near that airport. <laughs> Cause you know, that could take down a jetliner. and there's, yeah, it went right over that netting at the end of the, um, you know, at the end of the fairway or whatever, <laughs> just absolutely launched it. I, I'm the worst golfer ever, but yeah, all right. Well, you know, I think we've uh, we've vented a lot, and I, I don't know if I've completely come to grips with how miserable 2020 will be. Um, you know, I was when I got out of bed this morning. I, I wasn't that gloom and doom about the season, but it's looking pretty bleak right now. Yeah, yeah. I. Um... My 84 wins prediction is looking real bad right now. That's that took a hit today. Oh boy. What do you say now? What's your revised? Oh, I'm probably hovering around like 
72 to 75, somewhere around there. Um, maybe wow. even lower if I really, really sit down and think about it. Yeah, it's what pretty great bad. Guy. What a great guy. I, I literally have them now down to 61 and 101. <laughs> I'll I'll stay at 76, but I, I'm, that's obviously on the more optimistic side at this point. But all right, well, I guess we can wrap on that. Uh, probably no punishments this week. I'm surprised we never mentioned that earlier. Um, so we'll obviously record when, when those get handed down, but you never know. There could be some developments. Maybe there could be a Thursday show, maybe a Sunday show, who knows, but, uh, we'll, we'll be back on as, uh, as things do develop, you know, with this roster down in Fort Myers. Yeah. Can I give you a real fast tidbit about that? Sure. Um, just because I heard Shaughnessy today, and Dan Shaughnessy's pretty well plugged in, and they gave a deadline of like March eighth they wanted to have it done, and he said that MLB is going to blow right past that; that they're nowhere close to figuring out what the punishment's going to be. So oh, wow. it's not sounding like it's going to be anytime soon. They're really dragging their feet, and that's that's just according to him, and you know whatever. But that's just one thing I heard. And he's he's been pretty accurate in the past. You know, when it comes to, yep. yeah, in, in, in the recent past anyway. So, yeah. Well, all right, guys. Have a good night, and uh, we'll be in touch uh, throughout the week. Yeah, I'm going to try to be a little bit more positive next time because I still feel like I'm really sad about what's happening in 2020. All right, well, try to <laughs> try to upgrade them to 65 wins, you know, if you can come up with it. <laughs> all right. Have a good night, have guys. Good night. All right, see you episode i think it's 191 in the books probably the most depressing episode we've had in a while i apologize for that but um it's bound to happen you know not not every year leads to the promised land and uh won't be this year as well so like i said a little while ago just stay tuned we'll be back as things continue to develop And, uh, yeah, take it easy.